Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. All right. Uh, thanks, Dennis. And uh, we'll just pause for a moment to uh, invite God into our meeting today, and uh, we'll follow it with the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Um, thanks for uh, the invite, guys. Daniel, Dennis, thanks for all of your hard work uh, organizing this. I know there's uh, people all over the world that are benefiting from this today because everybody's locked up. <laughs> and... Uh, um, I just want to say something real quick, you know, what Dennis was talking about with the, you know, walking with somebody else as they come through the darkness. Um, you know, that is at the core of our 12th step is in order to keep what I've been given, uh, I have to give it away. And it's kind of like the, uh, the guide going through the Alaska wilderness during the during the gold rush days, you didn't get off the boat and ask the guy who just got off the boat with you to lead you north. You get off the boat and ask the guy who's been there before and come back with the good news of, of the treasure on the other side. And so uh, um, I do that because I've been given an amazing gift. Uh, I've been I've been sponsored by some amazing men and I've been friends with even more amazing friends in the fellowship. And so uh for that, I will always be grateful. Um, so today, uh, I wanted to share on uh, the experience of forgiveness uh, during the fourth step. Uh, during the fourth step. And Dennis, if you'd give me a five-minute call, I'd appreciate that, um, or one of you. Um, and uh, so to start off with um, about me, uh, as a sexaholic, uh, well, first of all, I thought I was different than everybody else. I didn't know there was really such a thing as sexaholism. And uh, and I was one of these people that everybody should want to be friends with because uh, uh, I was loyal to a fault. At least that was until you uh, failed to meet my demands for excellence and uh, um, and deity because, uh, you know, we're all human. Um and then I would revert to the resentment, the grudge, the rage, uh, and um, and I suffered for it. Um, you know, and so that life of forgiveness took its toll on me. A life of unforgiveness took its toll on me, and uh, and really it took me to the place where you know when we talk about the resentments in step four, uh, I got to treat you however I wanted to because of what you had done. And that was kind of at the core of, of my justification um, for what I was doing. So, you know, and I want to put, uh, say something else here, too. First of all, I'm not a teacher. I'm not a I'm not a guru. Uh, what I what I am sharing today is purely my experience. And uh, um, and it's worth what you paid for it. So uh, you can take it or leave it. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of different experiences with this as well. But, uh, you know, for me, the question is, why would I, why would I do the four-step inventory? And, you know, if you go to AA meetings, it's legendary. Guys come into the program, they start their four-step work, and either in the fourth-step work or at the end of their four-step work, boom, they go back out. And, you know, and how come? Um, you know, the to me, it's because that – arduous nature of looking at myself and seeing what what I have really been like to live with is a hard is hard work um, 
The big book does tell us, though, on page 66, uh, if you read through, starting with It is Plain That a Life, and I won't go through it right now, but you can go through it and look for all the terms regarding death. Uh, it's death threats. It's, uh, um, you know, where I'll end up if I don't take care of this. So I look for the synonyms, and there's a lot of them. And uh, the, uh, uh, the nature of that you know, drives me to take a different action. If I'm, if I'm operating on a basis of survival, then that's very different than operating on the basis of convenience or comfort. Um, a man in survival mode does a lot of things that a man who's uh, living a life of leisure doesn't, isn't willing to do. And so, uh, you know, Everybody, all of us know that four-step inventory. We write this list, and and that's the act. That's part of the action. Um, I have to do that, and part of that is the conclusion of it, where I see one where I was wrong, and two what what it was I could have uh, done differently, or what I needed to have done differently. Um, the part that I don't hear as much about is uh, is the spiritual experience of it. The part that uh, occurs during the prayer work. And uh, probably the bulk of my fourth step was the prayer work. It was, uh, my sponsor had me doing this step work three times a week, 30 minutes at a session. Um, and uh, I thought that was maybe a little bit too much, but uh, he convinced me otherwise. Um, and uh, and so I wanna go through the prayers and, and to frame this, uh, I want to tell you guys a little bit about my life, my relationship with my mother. Um, you know, there was no overt sexual addiction in my home that I knew of. Come to find out later on there was. But uh, one of the things um, that had happened as a result of the, the craziness going on in my home was a surrogate relationship with my mother where uh, she would bring emotional and uh heart things to me that really belonged to my father. Um, and of course that was a result of his absence and his, uh, his own, um, spiritual journey. Um, but as I, as I got into recovery, I realized how incredibly hurt I was at what had happened. And, um, and I grew this really big resentment and, and it had been festering for a long time. And, uh, it had not been the kind of thing that I really could see why it was there until I began to do get outside help on this, uh, on this connection with my mother that wasn't healthy. In fact, one that I was told was a form of sexual abuse without the physical touch. And, um, and so this, this resentment that came up and this block in me was, was one that in my mind, I could not let it go until she saw the grave effect that it had on me. Uh, in other words, she had to see and acknowledge her wrong in order for me to let it go, um, which is unforgiveness. And um, uh, I thought it was my need for her to see it. Um, and so, uh, so in the prayer work, um, you know, it starts off on page 66. My sponsor leads me through this like it's an instruction manual line by line and uh, start off with, this was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us were perhaps spiritually sick. Well, to realize is to make real to me. And I've spent my whole life trying to make things real, but I can't make them real. So here I'm dependent upon God to help me to realize that these people are spiritually sick. And the other part of this prayer that my sponsor had me praying was to add on just like me. Um, at first it was just pretty easy to roll off the tongue, but the longer I went working through my, my resentment inventory, the more, the, the more it struck me that this person is spiritually sick, just like me. And, and now instead of being above them, instead of being their superior, either morally or relationally, it, 
it was bringing me down to this level field where I'm just another human being, another one of God's creations struggling in this life. And, um, and so that was the first, uh, uh, prayer that, uh, that I would go through my list with. Um, and that's a process and that, and that part was up to God to help me to realize. And as long as I was willing to put in the time, then God was faithful and, and affected a change in me. Um, the second is, uh, top of 67. So though, and I'll say that most people misread this the first time they read it. So, uh, I'll read it correctly here and tell you where it happens. Though we did not like their symptoms and the way these disturbed us, they like ourselves were sick too. And most of us, when we re- read it the first couple of times, we read, though we did not like their symptoms and the way they disturbed us. And when I put in that word, they, it justifies my actions because they is the person. These refers to the symptoms. And so I dehumanize the other person, whether it be a, an ex-spouse, uh, whether it be a child, whether it be somebody that I consider to be an enemy, uh, my mother. And, um, and so, you know, my justification up until that point was okay to be an ass to my mother because she had hurt me. And I can, you know, be rude on the phone. I can be rude in person. Um, and uh, it led to a lot of behaviors on my part that were very hurtful, I think. Um, so we, the next prayer here is we ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience. We would cheerfully grant a sick friend when, and when a person said, when a person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man. How can I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. Well, the, um, first of all, before recovery, I didn't have any friends, uh, and so the, it was difficult for me at first until I began to develop these relationships with friends in recovery. Um, and it was amazing because my wife could say something to me and I would have this big explode, this, this uh, brainstorm and, uh, and the crouch, right? But if my friend, if my good friend said it to me, I I would, you know, oh man, he's having a bad day. I wonder what's going on at home. And I would have this uh, uh, empathetic, you know, loving attitude towards my friend. And just for some reason, sleeping with my wife makes all the difference in the world. Um, And, uh, um, and so I would literally visualize this good friend of mine when I was working through my, my uh, inventory and it it came to that person I would be praying, God, help me to show this person the same tolerance, pity, and patience. I would cheerfully grant my friend Jeff. And uh, and boy, that had this amazing effect of taking out all the barbs. It took out these uh, sharp edges. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, and then, and then I would continue to pray, um, you know, how can I be helpful save me from anger, thy will be done. You know, and so, so at that point I'm seeking to serve and, and serving the person doesn't mean I go over there and I, and I sweep their steps, shovel their snow or, uh, but certainly I can be helpful from a distance in praying for them, you know, pray, praying, uh, that God would help them in their day. God would bless them today. God would protect them. And, um, and the last part of the prayer work uh, comes from page 552 in the big book. Um, and, uh, uh, and so the, uh, at the middle of the page there, it says, in effect, if you have a resentment you want to be free of, if you will pray for the person or the thing you resent, you will be free. If you will ask in prayer for everything you want for yourself to be given to them, you will be free. Ask for their health, their prosperity, their happiness, and you will be free. Even when you really don't want it for them and your prayers are only words and you don't mean it, go ahead and do it anyways. And so, um, you know, I have a huge list of things that I want for myself um, <laughs> and probably too big. And, uh, and at the same time, as I consider this person, um, you know, in particular, in this case, my mother, you know, praying for my mother to have all that I want for myself. Well, 
first of all, on a daily basis, I crave this connection with my higher power. I crave this connection with God. I crave a connection with my spouse. I crave a good relationship with my children, with my friends, with the fellowship. I crave recovery. I crave sobriety. Uh, and all these things that will come to my mind when I go, God, what do I want? What can I ask you for? And I pray that for them. Now, the the little clause at the end of that reading, which says, even if I don't mean it. And so the way my sponsor had me handle that was that I would read through my list of resentments and uh, across the span of 30 minutes during that day of step work, I would pray for each one of those. God, I pray that you give Billy Bob everything that he needs today. Show me how to be helpful to him. God, I pray that you give him a connection with you, his spouse, his children. I pray that you give him health, that you give him a, uh, a secure job. I pray that you give him in, in his work and and I come to the end of that, and then I ask myself the question, did I really mean it? And if I meant it, I could check off that name. If I didn't, I just left it. That's okay. Because this process of change is spiritual in nature. Uh, it's not the, the go, 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 the do, do, do. This is a spiritual transformation that's happening in me, and it's on God's time that it happens. And so if it's not something that I, that I feel that I mean from my inner place, then I leave the name on the list and I progress to the next one. And so what in effect happens is I keep coming back to that person and, and praying for them. Now, I, I really am a vengeful kind of person. I have been. And so I had to cut out this piece of paper that had a little bitty corner cut out of it. And then my prayers are written on it. And so I would cover the second column with my piece of paper and only see the person's name as I was praying for them. Because you know what? If I sit there and I keep reconnecting that name with that resentment, I'm not going to get better. Uh, I'm not going to get well. And so uh, I had to um, I had to cover it up physically as I was praying for them. And uh, and so as I would pray through those, you know, sometimes I would have a big reaction while I was doing the doing the prayer work, and I would need to call somebody um, or my sponsors, another friend in the fellowship. But as I as I worked through the list, this the the number of names without a check mark got smaller and smaller, and um, and so eventually, what happened was was this: I hadn't checked my mom's name off on the list yet, but uh, she came up due for a. Uh, uh, a surgery, a major back surgery. Um, she, her back had gotten bad enough to where she was kind of bent over at halfway up her back and couldn't even sit upright. And so they were going to do this surgery where they cut her open on the front side, go in, you know, pull everything to the side, put in this titanium wedge and do some rods and stuff, close her up, put her to bed, flip, bring her back the next day, flip her over and do a surgery on the back of her in order to correct this uh, back problem. And it was incredibly painful on her part. It was uh, requiring her to spend about a month and a half in, in a rehab type hospital. Um, there was some danger for uh, not recovering from it. Um, and so I went down uh, for the surgery and, um, and God just gave me the biggest gift in this time. And, um, and during the process of my mom, you know, being prepped, you could see the terror in her, in her eyes, hear it in her voice. You know, she was terrified of this surgery, you know, not knowing how it was going to go. And, you know, there was conflict in her world there down there where she lives down in Georgia and, uh, and so I got to just be there, um, you know, go get her a snack or get her ice water, whatever it is. And, and just somewhere in that exchange over that two days that I was there, um, it was, it was like these shells had come off of my eyes and all of a sudden I just see my mother as this hurting child of God, um, this woman that's in intense physical pain, she's in emotional pain. Um, it had been, it had been uh, probably 18 years since I'd lived in her home. 
So there was this separation degree of separation and some time in recovery as I go there. And, um, and it was, it was like, you know, the clouds open and the light shone down and like, here's this child of God that I get to be helpful to, you know, whether it be sitting her up in bed, helping her to move around, you know, putting a pillow under this side and, and just this realization that this is somebody that is broken just like me. And um, I had a, a vision. Uh, this was part of my outside help as well. It was a vision of carrying around this railroad tie. So the big pieces of wood that go underneath the rail rails on a railroad, it's full of splinters. It's full of tar and creosote. It, it's got a really strong acrid smell and it's heavy. It's heavier than wood because it's just filled with this black, sticky, yucky stuff. And I had this vision of this burden of resentment that I'd been carrying around that, uh, that I was on a boat on a canoe in this lake. And I was being asked by God to let it down, let it go. And as I put it down into the water, I felt the load lighten. And as I pulled my hands out of the way, I watch it slide off into the depths of the water. And I realized that, that in that moment, I had experienced forgiveness for my mother and all the wrongs that she had done and all the things that had happened in letting go. I got rid of the demand that she see what she had done, that she acknowledge what she had done, that she pay for what she had done. Um, and, and the best part of it was that I was free and, uh, you know, the freedom of forgiveness is something that no one can give me. I have to experience that with God. And that's the, that was the spirit, very spiritual part of the fourth step that I experienced. And, uh, and I, and I hope that as other, other men go through the steps with me, that they find that same freedom of forgiving someone else in the process of that, uh, of that step work. So, um, grateful to be here today and, uh, um, thanks for letting me share guys. Thank you so much, Marty. That was powerful. And I can say that that's exactly what I experienced. Um, a lot of the things in the big book talks about the blockers that are blocking me and, and I'll have little permanent effect in my recovery unless those blockers are removed. And those prayers that I also received were absolutely powerful. So at this point, uh, there is a button at the bottom of your screen, a Q&A button, and you can press that button and type out your questions, and we'll relay those on to Marty if anybody has any questions. Um, and it could be about forgiveness, or it could be about anything on recovery. Um, where you're at in your recovery, if you have specific questions, uh, you can type those out in the bottom of your screen. Meanwhile, I'll have a question for Marty. Um, do you, hi, uh, I've experienced an incredible freedom as a result of uh, the, the most, I mean, the truth is I've done the fourth step four times and I've experienced uh, rate, you know, more and more levels of freedom from it. Um, I find myself very, very rarely going into resentment now and also very sensitive to it. That I noticed it very quickly. Mm -hmm. um, I, uh, the last time that I did it, um, I was given more than just the sick man's prayer. I was given a four-part empathy step. Uh, I have to put it up. I'll put it up afterwards after I finish asking. Like, is that your experience? I mean, do you find yourself, you know, very rarely going going near resentment? I mean, I know that our founder he was dogged by it, and that wasn't my experience. Um, you know, but he, you know, Roy was dogged by it for many years. You know, what's your experience with that? Do you find, a, have you found a new freedom with that? Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for that question, Daniel. Um, yes, I find that I am, a lot of times I'm much less prone to any kind of resentment because uh, 
when I start to, you know, and usually I don't go, oh, that's a resentment. Usually what happens is I get the restless, irritable discontent and I have to do that little spot check and I go, oh, that's resentment. And the, for me, the resentment in, in the last while has been much more sneaky. It's more cunning and baffling and it shows up in a different way, you know, and I like to use synonyms. My, my sponsors turn me into a word geek and, uh, um, but maybe a little grudge or a little bitterness or, uh, you know, those kind of things. And so um, it's, it's less frequent, certainly. And, um, and when I, full on face what's going on. And I detect the other ones, like there's a, there is a deeper freedom that happens uh, with that. And, uh, and I'm still a sick man. So <laughs> that's that, that progress. Uh, but it's dangerous when I allow that into my life. Um, it is very dangerous because it always puts my sobriety at risk. So I'm much I uh, am much more prone to letting something go than, than, you know, what my sponsor says. He's just like holding a little baby and cuddling the baby and harboring that grudge or that resentment. Um, I, I cuddle it, I feed it. And so that's uh that doesn't work for me anymore. So. Yeah. Just to share what those steps were that I was taken through um, for those that were interested, it was first withdrawing the judgment and it was secondly withdrawing the demand and then there was empathy, and then there was love with prayers. Anyways, uh, go ahead, Marty. Uh, go ahead, uh, Dennis. All right. Um, we have a question here. It says, thank you, Marty, for your share. How does one remove the fear blocker of forgiving self? The fear block forgiving self. Um, so the... Uh, for me, well, first of all, there is a fear inventory, and um, and that is a subsequent inventory that comes as part of the fourth step. But uh, um, the fear, uh, I guess, I guess I'm having to kind of interpret it a little bit with the the forgiving self. Um, forgiving self to me is is somewhat of a misnomer. Um, and uh, the what I see that forgiveness of self is really the recognition of my own humanity. Um, what I term, you know, it's what I term the toxic shame, where where I don't have a problem, I am the problem. Where I didn't make a mistake, I am the mistake. And so as I as I work through the steps. Um, the same humanity that I try to extend to others, I owe myself as well. Um, and if I don't address that with myself, if I don't address that, that um, really a despising of my own humanity, then that's going to be what I give to those around me. Um, and, you know, quick story about that was, mm. you know, I've always done, maintenance on my own vehicles, oil changes and that sort of thing since I was a little kid um, and always done it, never had a problem with it until not long, you know, a number of years back and my truck was having these malfunctions and, you know, couldn't figure it out, looking on YouTube, trying to research what's going on, don't know what's going on. I kind of like, well, I think it might be this. I call my mechanic and he's like, yeah, it could be that. It could be not enough oil. It could be any of those things. So we tow it down there get home and, and an hour later they call back and said, it's fixed. And so my wife and I, we hop in the car and we start driving and I call him up and I say, well, what's, uh, what's going on? How'd you guys get it fixed? So, so quick. He says, well, your truck was four quarts low on oil, you know, which was over a third of the contents of the engine. And the thing that came to my head first was, well, my wife changed the oil this time. <laughs> and, uh, but but in reality, what was happening was I was experiencing this shame of having made a mistake. And I hated that someone would see that I had made a mistake and um, or, you know, that somebody would see that they could get to me. Um, and so I told my wife as I hung up and she started laughing so hard and and 
what was really telling was like, why do you think that's so funny? And she says, because at least the rest of us stand a chance now. Hmm. And that's what it was like to live with somebody who was a perfectionist, who would demand perfection out of others, who refused to admit mistakes, who refused to say I was wrong, who refused to say I was, I was out of place. I did something that was against you. And that's probably the biggest thing that I perpetrate against myself is that is is that demand for myself to be superhuman or subhuman in a lot of our cases where you know we're ashamed of the things that we've done. Thank you. Um, the next question is how long did you actually spend on your fourth step? Mm. I mentioned you were doing <laughs> three times a week for 30 minutes. Yeah, so um like I said, just my experience, I spent over a year on it. Um, and, uh, you know, some people say, well, if you're not done with that, in, you know, in a month, then you're going too slow. Uh, I struggle with the, I struggle with the pace because, you know, in my, even in my career field, uh, you know, it's all about checklists. It's get it done, take care of business, you know, and, and had I rushed through the steps, and this is just for me, had I rushed through the steps and checked the boxes, put the stuff on paper, I would have missed the spiritual experience. And mm -hmm. so uh, it took what it took. My sponsor set me down at the beginning of the fourth step and said, uh, he, he had me write, write a grade on the front of my, of my, uh, four, of my fourth step notebook. He said F minus. And... <laughs> I've never had an F minus before in my life, but he says, all right, so now you two things. One, you spend the rest of your life keeping on working at it and we just get this over with. And second, the timing of this is up to God. The timing of this is, is up to how fast he works in you, not how fast you can put it on paper. So, yeah. and if Thanks. your sponsor says something different, your sponsor's right. Absolutely. Thank you, Marty. Um, hi, I've been in the program for over three and a half years and in the past five, and I have relapsed many times. Every time I think it's the last time, I'm tired of relapsing. What experience, strength, and hope do you have? Mm. Wow. Well, that's a, that's a really tough place to be. Um, the chronic relapsing is uh, the word that comes to mind is despair. And, um, you know, this is, this is where I, I would ask a guy, what does your sponsor ask you to do that you're not doing? Um, what do you have a sponsor? Um, another <clears throat> thing would be what, what is the motive behind what you're doing? Um, if it's, if it's, you know, I, I was in the program for, uh, right at two years and, I relapsed with almost two years of sobriety after I came home from treatment and it was just terrifying. Um, it was despair. And, uh, and up until that point, um, really it had been a, to a large degree, the do in me, i.e. the, the worker bee, the, I'm going to check the boxes, you know, do the checklist, you know, and I, would, I did 90 and 90 for the first two years of, of recovery. Um, and, and yet through all that process and working through the steps with my sponsor, I, uh, I missed finding my higher power and I missed the essential motivation, uh, in recovery, which is survival. And so, you know, when I was in, when I was in the military, I, I, went to survival school um, and they taught us all these things that we would need to be able to do in the event of survival. Now, a lot of people approached it as, ah, you know, bugs, worms, grass, different plants and berries in the woods. I don't think I'm on a diet right now. You know, and so they wouldn't, they wouldn't try this stuff. They wouldn't try to go get past that. Other guys, including me would actually try it. You know, you know, the key for eating an earthworm is that you squeeze the dirt out of them before you chew them up. And, uh, 
but they had never tried it before. And so when it comes to a survival situation, the person who, who cannot take the necessary action for survival usually ends up dying. And that motivation of survival changes to what degree someone will take the steps. A man who, whose sponsor tells him, call me every time that you're tempted, okay, especially early on in the program, it says, well, that's kind of drastic, don't you think? Or you, you tell him, you know, you need to do 90 meetings in 90 days. And he says, well, you know, that's not real convenient. Well, my experience at that two-year point was that the thought crossed my mind that I could just end it all and I wouldn't have to keep telling my wife or my sponsor. And while there, was, there wasn't a plan there, the fact that the thought crossed my mind scared the heck out of me. And all of a sudden, I had this new motivation for how I was working recovery, what I was doing, to what lengths I would go. And so um, I would say it's it's a good time to sit down and, and talk to your sponsor about your motivation for why you're doing what you're doing um, and you know what, uh, what it is maybe that he's asked you to do that you're unwilling to do because of, well, that's kind of extreme, don't you think? Or that's kind of that's kind of over the top. So, um, yeah, that's just my, my thoughts on that. Um, thanks. Uh, someone asked if you still have anyone on your list and if so, why? And if no, was your mother the last name? Uh, yes. Uh, my mother was not the last one on the list. Um, there's, there's other names on that list that I, that I continue to work on today. Um, that, uh, yeah, and there's there's a number of them where they were on the list. I checked them off, and they came back. And so, um, you know, that spiritual process of uh, of praying for them, praying for God, help me. First of all, help me to realize they're spiritually sick, just like me. And just because I forgave them doesn't mean they're going to stop doing what they did, what they do. And that's that. Of course, is not my responsibility. Um, I can have new boundaries. And, uh, you know, and basically say, well, I'm not going to put myself in that situation or I'm not going to allow that person to come to my house or like those boundaries. Forgiving somebody does not mean it's okay for them to continue what they're doing. Um, And so, yes, there are uh, a few uh, names on that list and I continue to work on those um, to this day. (laughs) In fact, I was praying for one of them this morning. Nice. Thank you, Marty. Uh, can you share how you did this work on yourself or did you? How I did this work. Um, now, if you're referring to uh, the the toxic shame, if you will, I guess, I think that I'm assuming that's what you're talking about, the forgiving self. Um Part of it is here in the fourth step and, and realizing that these other people are just like me. Um, part of it was uh, outside help. And, uh, and part of it is, is relational to me. Um, you know, when I, when I do these things that in my head, I go, that was stupid or you're, a, you're a dummy, Marty. It's like when I call somebody else, so, my, my best friend and I, we, we kind of have a running joke that, you know, we'll call each other up and, and tell on ourselves, um, you know, and, you know, I did this one thing, right. And our tendency is usually to hide that, to cover it up, to disguise it, to, or to even go, I don't care, you know, and that's just the flip side of the same thing. Um, but, uh, we'll call each other up and we're telling on ourselves and, and, and the joke between us is my buddy will be, you know, I'll tell him what I just did and, and I'm ashamed of it. And it's like, man, I made a mistake or, uh, or even I, I'm not quite to the place where I can say that I made a mistake. And, and he'll say, Marty, you're the only one. <laughs> and so, <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like the levity of my humanity is right in front of us. You know, it's like, I've done that before. You've done that before. In my mind, I'm the only one in the whole universe that ever made that mistake. I'm the only guy that turned the corner in the new rental car and scrubbed the rims on the curb, right? Uh, 
you know, and, and, you know, or my own new car, that'd be even better. Right. Um, you know, or back my truck into the neighbor's car in front of the driveway, uh, or, you know, a couple of days ago, I'm out there shoveling snow and, and I stepped on the shiny spot and literally I do the one, two, three, you know, back swipe and then I'm horizontal and then I'm on the ground and that happens. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then all of a sudden it's, it's right as it's happening, a neighbor drives by right in front of the house. And, you know, what used to what have happened would I'd be raging at that person because I could see they were laughing as they were driving by. And, um, you know, I'd be raging. I'd be resentful. Instead, now I, I'm learning to laugh at myself. I was like, that was a pretty good show, I'll bet. You know, they just don't know that my wrist really hurts right now. And, uh, and so I was sitting there in the middle of the driveway picking myself up off the ice. I couldn't even get up off of the ice because it was so slippery. But, uh, you know, that's part of the process is that confession to others and, and realizing I'm not the only one. So. Thanks, Marty. Um, the next question I've heard of forgiveness in step eight, and of course it's there in four and five. Thanks for enlightening me. Do you work step five in one go or in sessions sharing the uh, AA big book step four prayers as you go? So for me, um, my sponsor, uh, the fifth step is one of the places where it's face to face. Um, so I flew from Alaska down to Memphis and sat down with my sponsor and we set aside a whole day and we started in the morning after breakfast and, and we just went through and one big, uh, one, one single all day session basically. And, um, and at the end of the day, it took most of the day. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, when I, when I'd finished my fifth step share with him, then, uh, then he basically sent me back to my hotel room with instructions, which immediately followed. You know, if you, if you follow the big book, like it's an instruction manual, it says, says next, you know, uh, and go back to my room and immediately work through step six and seven um, in that time. So um, it was a one day, one day process for me. Thank you, Marty. <clears throat> I have tremendous anger and resentment towards my old sponsor, and I have done many step fours, and I am still so hurt by my old sponsor. I don't know how to let resentment go. I felt abandoned by this person. I want this person back in my life so badly, even though I know it was an unhealthy relationship. I don't know how to forgive this person. Yeah. Um I'd say that uh, there's probably an unhealthy, I'd acknowledge there's probably an unhealthy uh, demand there. And, and uh, that kind of, kind of puts me back to uh, uh, step four in the 12 and 12. Um, and uh, um, wait, uh on page 53, it says the primary fact that we fail to recognize is our total inability to form a true partnership with another human being. And it goes on to talk about these two pitfalls. One that we insist upon dominating the people we know, and then I'll resent the heck out of them for not being dominated, like resisting my domination. Or we depend upon them far too much. If we lean too heavily on people. They will sooner or later fail us for they are human too and cannot possibly meet our incessant demands. And so, um, you know, I'd say, you know, it's important to look at what the, what the resentment is about, you know, what is, what is maybe a demand that you're placing on that person to fill something in you. Maybe it was not meant to be filled by them. Maybe it's intended to be filled by God. Um, I don't, I don't know that, but that, that's something to work on with your sponsor. And, uh, um, you know, the prayer work here, God is amazing in the way that he reveals truth to me, even when I can't find the answer on my own. 
And so, you know, continuing to pray for this person, continuing to like, they, if, if there's still a problem, they're not checked off. If, if there's still this demand for them to do something for you, they're not checked off. So, um, yeah, that's with knowing what I know, that's kind of uh, just a general view there. Uh, thanks for that. And just so you, so, you know, based on a few of the questions that are coming in, we've got quite a few people that are kind of new to essay. So it's a, it's a very important talk. They're hearing uh, some really important stuff. Um, the question here is, thank you for your guidance on step four. I'm new to SA. I've worked on step four in another program. I found people pleasing one of my character weaknesses. Any thoughts how that can relate to lust? <laughs> people pleasing and lust. Why? Um, well, um, that kind of that kind of goes into you know what what I so my sponsor um, when I my first sponsor when I did the the four step inventory, he had me write about what my fears were. My first answer to him was, I'm not scared. <laughs> and, and, and so he, he kind of talks for a little bit longer. He's like, all right, so what's on your fear list? I was like, there's nothing. I'm, I'm not afraid of dying. I'm not, you know, and I was bulletproof and impervious to, to, to love. <laughs> and, and, um, and he started getting frustrated with me. And, and finally he starts using synonyms, right? He's like, you know, what about, uh, you know, do you have any nightmare? You know, he's like, how about worries? And I was like, Oh, I got worries, you know? And, uh, and so I started talking, you know, he's like, okay, go, all right, look, don't tell me about it. Go write it down, write down all these worries that you have. Well, I had four little kids at the time. And so there's a whole bunch of worries right there. You know, um, I live in a world where transactions are conducted uh, with financial means. So there's a couple more worries and, and, you know, and so I just start writing and he had me writing like bullets. And so I, I got to page two where I'm writing three columns of just doom, 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 doom. What am I worried about? And I got to the end of the second page. I, I think that's enough. I'll call him and tell him about this. And so he's like, all right, go ahead and read it. <clears throat> and, uh, and I start reading and then he erupt, interrupts me halfway through the first of six columns and he's just laughing his butt off. He's just laughing. At, you know, you can hear him crowing. And, and he says, Marty, you're a people pleaser. You're a performer. And I didn't like that answer. <laughs> I was, I was, it kind of pissed me off. You know, it's like, what the heck? I'm not one of those people, right? I'm not that sick. And, um, and so, you know, it turns out a vast majority, you know, of, of my resentments were coming around where I would do all this effort to impress or please or perform for this person and they would be unmoved or they wouldn't do what I want. Like I would do it to try to get them to do what I wanted them to do. And, and so all that transactional relationships were just that they're a disaster. So anyways, that's a part of that inventory, I think. Thank you, Marty. <clears throat> Hang on. Okay, sorry about that. Um, good day, mate. Great share. I have a huge resentment toward my mother. I do inventory. I do inventory the resentment goes and then comes back. This has been going on for years. What do I do? Good day, mate. I think I know who that is. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I think God really is the, is the answer to this. Um, you know, being willing to change, being willing to see where, you know, I have a demand or a, or a desire to dominate, um, you know, for my mother, it was a demand that she see what she had done, that she acknowledge it and that she repent of it. And um, a really good uh, friend of mine, a spiritual advisor, 
spoke once talking about forgiveness and his definition struck me and it, it sticks with me till today. And forgiveness is when I choose to carry the weight of the wrong that you did without having you do anything with it. Um, and that's a big, that's a big, that's a big ask. Um, you know, and I think it's probably even harder on somebody who has a parent or a person on your resentment list that's passed from this world. And, you know, how do you, how do I get that person to acknowledge what they did? How do I have them carry their weight? They're gone. And so, um, you know, really the change that happens in me is the only way that I've found that to deal with that and to, to, uh, um, to have that be released. And so, you know, if it's a continuing relationship where there's abuse continue to happen, well, that's time to talk with my sponsor about, about boundaries and, you know, teaching the person, you know, I teach people how to treat me. Um, and so uh, my boundaries are what, how people learn what I want to be treated like. Um, and so, but uh, I think that's uh, certainly time for some intensive individual work, kind of like it talks about in, in that story in the back of the big book, 552. Before we go on, can you repeat that, um, what you said about the forgiveness, about having somebody carry that? Okay, so the definition, forgive, forgiveness is me choosing to carry the weight of the wrong that you did and not require that you have any part in it. Thank you, Marty. Go ahead, Daniel. Um, yes. So the question is, hi, Marty. Thank you for your powerful share. I'm fairly new to the program and just working step one. I'm dreading so much one of them being step four. For me, forgiveness is daunting because I have to keep reminding myself that, I'm, that I've forgiven a specific person. And it's hard, especially remembering the negative things they've done and are doing. What can I do? Well, uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, the anticipation of, of future steps does more to kill addicts than anything else. Um, so first of all, I'd say, come back to today. You know, what is it that, what's the task your sponsor's got in front of you right now today? Don't, don't sit there and anticipate how you're going to work step four, because you on your own would probably work it completely different than your sponsor would have you work it. Um, you know, second is it, it's a process, you know, four comes after three, which comes after two, which comes after one. And so, you know, if I were to today to walk out the door and say, I'm going to go run a marathon, that would be horrible because I've not done the process of growing and, and developing in between. And so, uh, you know, the, the marathon runner didn't start off with a marathon. The marathon runner started off with a 3k or a, or a 5k and, uh, and started, started that he did a daily routine where start off with one mile or two kilometers and would work up and, uh, and eventually build up to it. So, um, you know, the, the spiritual growth that you'll experience between here and step four is going to be tremendous and, uh, will equip you to do what you need to do in step four. Thank you, Marty. Next part is kind of a two-part question. What did the prayer look like when you worked the fourth on yourself? And can you detail what your fourth column looked like? Oh, man. Um, so it's interesting. My fourth step, never, I never put me on there. Um, the, you know, some of us have heard and used uh, the shame inventory um, that's that's been around. Um, you know, there's there's a couple of books for me to see. You know, that I use that were they're not program literature. Um, you know, if, if you're interested, I can I can share those later. But uh, it was just a recognition of where where this unhealthy view of what I should be like. So even in that word should. There's this shame. There's this, you know, demand for me to be something I'm not. Um, 
And so, uh, you know, certainly, you know, being gentle with myself, being, uh, you know, giving myself room, um, you know, giving myself a break, taking care of myself. These are all things that as addicts were horrible at, you know? So one of the things that I work with sponsees right off the bat is, are they eating? Um, are they resting? Are they exercising? You know, and all those things are part of taking care of myself, natural ways that my body, you know, and, and I was horrible at all those. And, and it, and it was even to the point where I had to schedule it. Well, why would I put it on the schedule? Because as addicts, if I don't put it on the schedule, I'll accomplish exactly what I scheduled. Yeah. You know, so I've got to make time for a meal. Um, I have to, at the end of the work day, I have to set work down and go home. I can't, I can't carry that around. And right now COVID makes that incredibly hard because a lot of people are working from home. Um, but for myself, that recognition that I'm human, I have limitations. I don't have all the answers. I need help. That, that kind of came in the process of going through all the steps, you know, my, my daily conversations with, with sponsors, with others in the fellowship and, and certainly with outside help, that was a big part of, of where I found that healing. And I can share more offline if somebody wants to later. Thanks. So one very last quick question, cause we're running out of time. Um, very simply, um, I've been able to get to the point of forgiving my cousin who molested me. What's the next step? We see each other frequently and I can't bring myself to say hi because I'm afraid it's going to bring the resentment right back up. Mm. Yeah. So um, that's a good question. Um, you know, the, if, if the forgiveness has happened, then, then I'm free to either be in the relationship or leave the relationship. Uh, family relationship, that's a little bit harder because, you know, they're, they're there at every, every family reunion or get together. Um, you know, it, I would say if the, you know, if there's no longer abuse happening, um, if there was abuse ha- continue to happen, it requires healthy boundaries to take care of me. Remember my boundaries protect me. They don't control the other person. And so uh, the healthy boundary to protect me, um, maybe it's kind of thing where you say, I'm going to be around them, but just not by myself. Um, It'll be in a group setting. But uh, I also know that, you know, as you come around to the later steps, as you get around to eight and nine, um, what you and your sponsor will work on will be healing also. That forgiveness, I think, continues. You know, it's a ongoing um ongoing process um not so much an event all right everybody well thank you marty thank you for your time and your being of service here today um if you could close us out with a a prayer of your choosing a program prayer of your choosing and then we'll make an announcement and and get into our our next portion of our uh, event here thank you okay um boy I appreciate you guys uh, organizing all this and uh, um, and I will I would like to read uh, um, the prayer of St. Francis. Um, I don't have it memorized, so I'm going to read it. <laughs> Lord, make me a channel of thy peace that where there is hatred, I may bring love, that where there is wrong, I may bring the spirit of forgiveness. That where there is discord, I may bring harmony. That where there is error, I may bring truth. Where there is doubt, I may bring faith. Where there is despair, I may bring hope. That where there are shadows, I may bring light. Where there is sadness, I may bring joy. Lord, grant that I may seek rather to comfort than to be comforted, to understand than to be understood, to love than to be loved, For it is by self-forgetting that one finds, it is by forgiving that one is forgiven. It is by dying that one awakens to eternal life. Keep coming back, guys. It works and you'll work it. And you're worth it. And it won't if you don't. 
I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.